we should not be concentrating on building the things that already work well. That is integral part of design of, of crossplane. Hey, we're not going to build specific logging mechanism. We're not going to build GitOps, build something, something, right? Uh, we're not going to build our own scheduler even, right? We're going to extend Kubernetes scheduler, but we're not going to build it and so on and so forth. So the approach is very different in terms that crossplane is a part of a wider ecosystem, while Terraform is the ecosystem by itself. Hello, and welcome to the DevOps Sauna podcast. I'm Mark, and I'll be your host today. The superpowers behind Kubernetes are the declarative management by desired state and automated controller logic. This enables companies to easily manage hundreds of compute nodes, thousands of containers, and to manage networking and auto-scaling between all of them. To avoid cognitive overload in all of this, it's the declarative API that provides a useful abstraction level. Crossplane is one way to achieve that. But when you strip it off all of the buzzwords, what is it actually? We've invited Victor Farsik, developer advocate at Upbound, and Andy Allred, lead DevOps consultant at Efficode, to help us make sense of all this. Let's tune in. Hello, and welcome to DevOps Sauna. My name is Mark. I'll be your host today. Here, we're going to talk about Crossplane, crossplane.io. I've got two great panelists here. First, I have Victor Farsik. Would you like to introduce yourself, Victor? Oh, yes, I would. So my name is Victor. I work for Upbound with a company behind Crossplane, uh, open source enterprise. Uh, we'll talk about it more later. I have a YouTube channel, write books, speak at conferences, destroy other people's systems. Very prolific and humble introduction. Thank you, Victor. I also have an Efficodian here with me, Andy Allred. Hello. I started my career, something unique in nuclear-powered fast attack submarines doing electronic warfare communications and navigation, which often gives me a unique perspective on how to operate things and how to uh, look at the operability of systems. And then I spent quite a, I guess, decades in uh, telecoms companies and recently moved into Efficode as a DevOps and cloud consultant. Were those submarines turbocharged, Andy? Yes, we had a turbo on the diesel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's, let's talk about how to turbocharge our development environments. So, uh, Victor, would you like to tell us about Crossplane and Upbound? Yes. So Crossplane is, if I would have to give a tagline, kind of only a few words, that would be that it is a control plane of control planes, which might sound confusing to people, but think about Kubernetes, right? And I'm saying Kubernetes now mostly because majority of people are already familiar are using Kubernetes. And Kubernetes itself is a control plane. It controls what is uh, running and how it's running in a cluster, right? Now, what we want to do is bring that concept of a control plane on a higher level, right? Wouldn't it be great if you have a control plane that would control your Kubernetes clusters, but also your AWS resources, Azure, on-prem, uh, GCP, GitHub accounts. It doesn't really matter what that is. What does matter is that the idea is to have a control plane that controls everything. And just to clarify, control planes are everywhere, right? People are, might not be aware of it, but when you use AWS, you're actually interacting with their API and there is a control plane, plane behind it and the same thing with Azure. Basically, almost behind almost every API, there is a control plane. But since everybody is multi-cloud now, which we can fight about later, but I, I stand by my claim that everybody uses more than one cloud, there is a strong need to have a, a control plane above all that, to have a single pane of glass, but not like CLI, you know, kind of I execute this and then I want that but a real control plane behind everything. And that's what we are trying to do with Crossplane. That's that's a short gist, right? There, there's much more to it. We extend Kubernetes, we are Kubernetes native, there are compositions, and so on and so forth. A lot of things, but the short one kind of Kickstarter is control plane of control planes. 
we have control planes on submarines as well. When Andy brought this to me, that's what I thought we were talking about dive planes or something. Um, Victor, could you tell us a little bit about the about the history? So I'm assuming that you now mean history of managing infrastructure, something like that. That yeah, it all started with uh, Shell, right? And then people realized that you cannot easily manage state in shell because you write shell scripts or python or whatever and then you need to have infinite number of if else statements you know hey i want to do this but if the state is like this then i need to do something else but within something else it's it's just complicated to manage all the permutations uh so either you would need to have scripts that start always from scratch or you die trying right then we got uh, CF Engine. There might have been things before CF Engine, but at least in my case, CF, CF Engine was the first contact with uh, what later on became known as... Actually, at that time, I think that uh, it was called Configuration Management, CM, and it was horrible. Like, CF Engine was horrible. But I'm saying now horrible from today's perspective, right? It was fantastic at the time when I was trying to like get all my bash scripts in line and trying to figure out where the F else is failing. CF Engine was amazing at the time. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it was horrible, actually, I can say, for almost everything that existed more than 10 years ago, right? Uh, but yes, I, I remember also my, my uh, first reaction to CF Engine was, oh, oh, I cannot believe it. I cannot believe it. This is best thing ever, right? Then we got into Chef and Puppet, uh, later on Saltstack. Uh, Chef and Puppet were actually interest had interesting concepts and interesting ideas that died with those tools and now were reborn in Argo City and Flux. Yep. And now uh, some people are probably going to say, hey, what's the relation between Chef Puppet and Flux, right? Kind of they, they serve different purposes. And that's true, right? In a way, partly. But they were they were based on very similar concepts. Uh, hey, there is a code stored in at that time. I'm not sure whether we already switched to SVN or that was CVS. But there is a code stored in some code repository. There is a server running somewhere. It is monitoring that repository all the time and making sure that whatever is specified there is the desired state, and that is converged into the actual state running somewhere. I'm not sure that even desired state and actual state were used, the term, is, at that time. Uh, maybe they were, maybe they were not. I, I, I think it was. And the, the idea that they had was so applicable to exactly what we're trying to do today. They were onto the right idea, but the technology was still holding them back. We didn't have the networking and, and things like that to enable their ideas to really come to fruition. Exactly. But you know, when people say, hey, this new thing, GitOps, I tell them, yeah, I used Puppet like 20 years ago. Don't tell me about yeah. new ideas, GitOps. It's exactly the same. The only difference is that we didn't have Git at the time. That's the only difference. Yeah. Right? SVN Ops. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, now at that time, I think that the problem, actually not the problem, but naturally all those tools, I believe, were designed with ideas around mutable everything, right? Because on-prem, you know, uh, on-prem data centers, that was the norm. Cloud was just a, a word that was floating around, nobody really understanding. We were still, kind of, even virtual machines, I think, at, at the time of CF Engine were kind of a new thing that's scary. I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know whether I, I can trust those things, right? <laughs> Let, let's see if this really pans out in the end, or are we going to go back to the good old, you know, bare metal? Exactly. That's, that's a temporary kind of like thing. It's a hype. Yep. <laughs> now, the problem with, with uh, that is if those uh, tools were designed with physical hardware in mind, they had to be mutable, right? From today's perspective, you cannot go and whenever you change something, change a single line of configuration and say, okay, I'm going to create a new server for you and destroy the old one. Kind of, I'm, I'm going to keep it immutable. That, that was not realistic at the time. And that's why I think that we saw that very rapid adoption from CF Engine, Chef, Puppet, and later on Ansible into Terraform, right? 
Terraform championed, some people say championed cloud, but I think that actually what really made Terraform different is uh, that it was based on ideas that everything is immutable. Now, that does not mean that Ansible and Chef and Puppet cannot work in immutable way. They can, same as Terraform can work in immutable, but the you know base design is is different. And then we got uh, Terraform, and Terraform ruled uh, and still rules the industry in a way, right? Uh, with later edition of uh, Pulumi, which from my perspective, the same thing is Terraform. The the difference I, I, now I know that people are going to start yelling at me. It's not the same. I know it's not the same. But conceptually, the difference is more in syntax than um, in the principles and what it does. Yeah. The idea of Pulumi is to solve the same problem Terraform is solving, but the developers can do it in the language they're comfortable with instead of learning HCL and Terraform model. And there's other subtle differences, but that's kind of the main selling point, so to speak. Exactly. That's that's the short history, I think. Yeah. I was just showing Mark... Uh, little bit earlier, one of my old Terraform repositories and the the hundreds and hundreds of files that we had there and hundreds of lines of uh, configuration in one file and saying that this was so amazing because you only have to update this and this and make sure it's linked with that and make sure it's over here and then and make sure you change this so you don't overwrite the state file. And then it just works. It's so cool. And coming from the past, it was and it, it, it still is. It's still a very useful tool, but it has its pitfalls, mostly with how you're interacting with all these uh, all these files that who's going to update which file and where do you store it and how do you manage the state files and share them. And it's not solving everything, but it sure is amazing compared to the history we just described. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Telephone really changed, uh, changed the game, right, uh, drastically. And and that is so evident just if you look at the adoption, right? There are very few tools in this industry that got such high adoption so fast. If you would name 10 tools that everybody knows about, Terraform would be one of those. Yep. But we know that there's pitfalls with Terraform. And we talked a little bit about the, the complication and uh, requiring to learn HCL. What are some of the other pitfalls of Terraform today? What are people facing? I wouldn't say, rather than pitfalls, more that I think that there are missing things or uh, differences in concepts. One of those is that I'm a strong believer that everything should be managed through an API, right? That CLIs, uh, if you use them, are just wrappers around uh, calls to an, to an API, right? That I should be able to instruct through API, hey, change the state of this, Give me the list of the, of uh, all the resources of this type and so on and so forth. And Terraform doesn't, not only that Terraform doesn't have an API, but it kind of in a way tries to hide the fact that there are APIs on the other end of all that, right? And it, and it makes perfect sense that Terraform hides the API because if you don't have your own, then do you really want to be exposed to AWS and Azure and Google and uh, Datadog and all those APIs? That's just overwhelming. I think that that's one of the missing pieces. Uh, I'm kind of like Kubernetes fanboy, and I think that uh, Kubernetes API is probably the biggest advantage that we got with Kubernetes itself. It is the best candidate that we have today for something potentially be called universal API, right? Mm. Uh, th doesn't matter even... I, from my perspective, it doesn't even matter whether there is Kubernetes engine behind that API scheduler or no. API is first. The most important thing about Kubernetes. I, I would even predict that if you talk again like 20 years from now and parts of Kubernetes do not survive, I would say that scheduler will disappear before Kubernetes API disappears from the scene, right? Yeah, probably. And th that's what we are... That's what we are trying to leverage with, with Crossplane. Hey, there is already that widely accepted API, uh, that is, this, that was designed to be extensible, that has a scheduler behind it and a few other things. Uh, why don't we use that and create a higher level API that would allow you to do things that some of the things that you might be doing today with uh, Terraform, but using the API itself, right? Mm -hmm. with, 
simply kubectl. I mean, or CURL, whatever you prefer. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. But other than the API, the, the struggle I had with Terraform was not so much the functionality. It was that in the big project I was doing Terraform, there were three of us who were managing all the infrastructure things. And we all knew how that Terraform worked. We knew which ones to update where. And it was fine. We were able to do it. Then we needed to onboard a few more people and share it with some more teams. And once kind of more than one team was trying to interact and manage and define infrastructure and request infrastructure, it didn't scale very well when we're sharing state files and having, you know, the the variables can't conflict between different files and it just got too complicated for more than a small team. Yeah, but that's that's partly because Terraform lives on your laptop. It was designed to live on your laptop, right? Yeah. And by definition, something that was designed to live on your laptop is meant to be used by you and mm. not you and 57 other people at the same time. Yep, yeah. We had uh, Jenkins pipelines that would run and actually run the Terraform for us. So it really wasn't running from our laptop, but the design of Terraform is very much kind of laptop centric. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's CLI centric, right? Which yeah. Yeah, yeah. ends up being uh, laptop centric. Yeah, of course, you, you can use uh, Jenkins or any other the tool to, and actually you should be using Jenkins, right? Uh, you should be pushing, uh, or oh, doesn't have to be Jenkins, but you should be pushing your manifest to Git. You yep. try them locally, push them to Git, and let some other tool uh, do do the stuff, right? Exactly. But when yep. you think about it, basically in your example, Jenkins was acting. The objective of using Jenkins is the same as the objective of us using Kubernetes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, uh, it's that central piece of mechanism that is orchestrating what sh- will be executed and when and exactly. how, right? Yeah, and then we can enter into long. It, it wouldn't be a long discussion, right? But there, there are definitely benefits of having Kubernetes orchestrate things over Jenkins, let's say. Yeah, yeah. But as amazing as Terraform was, there were these kind of. Uh, pitfalls does sound kind of strong, but these struggles that we had, and there has to be something better, and there there has to be a better way to do this. And as the, as you said, the Kubernetes API comes along and has this kind of the Kubernetes control loop that goes through and just checks that everything's in its state. And that's kind of built in and built to be extendable. So instead of reinventing your own control plane, you just tune a little bit and use the Kubernetes one, and then that unlocks so much potential. Yeah, I think that that's part of the differences, which again, you know, it's it's understandable given the time when Terraform was born. But one of the huge challenges that Terraform has is that Terraform is the ecosystem in itself, right? Terraform and Terraform community and HashiCorp and so on and so forth, whatever is needed needs to be built specifically for that tool. But our, our route is more... I cannot say more open source because it's not more open source, but more in the spirit, let's say, right? There are all the things that work and work well. Like I mentioned a couple of times, Kubernetes, Scheduler, what's or not. But there is the whole cloud native from the CNCF landscape, let's say, or cloud native landscape. And we thought from day one that we should not be concentrating on building the things that already work well. And that is part of, integral part of design of, of Crossplane. Hey, we are not going to build specific logging mechanism. We are not going to build GitOps something, something, right? Uh, we are not going to build whatever. Uh, we are not going to build our own scheduler even, right? We are going to extend Kubernetes scheduler, but we are not going to build it and so on and so forth. So the approach is very different in terms that Crossplane is a part of a wider ecosystem, while Terraform is the ecosystem by itself. Mm. Yep. With all the benefits and upsides and downsides, right, of either of two approaches. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So speaking of a better way to do things, um, how it's done with Crossplane then? <laughs> yeah, so uh, we have a concept of providers, let's say AWS provider, Azure provider, that have one-to-one mapping between a resource in a target provider 
and Kubernetes custom resource. So if you have, let's say, AWS as an example, EC2 instance, there is a custom resource definition Kubernetes for EC2. There is a custom resource definition for ELB, ALB, uh, EKS, whatever, right? So there is that mapping. And then when you want to manage something, you basically create custom resource from that custom resource definition, just as you would create a deployment in Kubernetes or stateful set or ingress or whatever. So you're managing Kubernetes resources, which are describing the end resources living somewhere else. And cross-plane job is to convert that uh, Kubernetes definition of a resource into a real resource, whatever that resource is. And now, now comes one of, one more difference. And I think huge difference actually between, uh, crossplane and other tools. It is not doing that only when you say, Hey, I would like an EC2 instance. It is continue. It has that uh, feedback loop, uh, that it is continuously monitoring that state of that instance. And whenever there is a difference between what you defined and what it really is, it will converge those two states, right? So it pretty much acts in a similar way as what you would use maybe Argo CD or Flux to synchronize what is in Git and what is in Kubernetes. Crossplane is fulfilling similar need or, or target uh, between Kubernetes, what is in Kubernetes and what is somewhere, right? AWS, for example, but it could theoretically be anything else. If I would make that distinction, I would say that Terraform is a tool that reacts only when you tell it to do something. So if I create a, let's say if I create an EKS cluster right now, uh, Terraform will do a wonderful job. It will create it. If something happened to that cluster and, uh, it, its actual ch- state changes, that something will not be fixed until the next time I execute Terraform, which could be two minutes later or seven months later, right? Depending on, uh, like if, if you go back to the example with Jenkins, the next time I push to get, then it will be fixed. And then the Jenkins job will fail because something in Terraform conflicts and it doesn't know how to resolve it. And you get an error and you're like, this resource changed. Oh man, when did this change? How long has this been this way? Uh, why didn't we know? Oh, we have to redo this. We have to redo this. Oh man, I wish I would have known when that happened. Exactly. But because Crossplane is now built on top of Kubernetes and kind of using that control loop logic, which Kubernetes is built on, it's always checking the status. So if something gets out of state, Crossplane notices it almost immediately, basically, and starts resolving it for you. So whenever you want to make a change, you know what state is that you're making a change to because Crossplane is always updating it and keeping it in sync. Exactly. Cool. And you had talked a little bit about the API, and I know that this is a big difference. Would you like to open up a little bit more about the benefits of the API? It's really about uh, being able to communicate and uh, with some server somewhere, and through that communication, do things, right? Without an API, a simple operation uh, like give me all the, uh, all the virtual machines that have this label uh, that belong to team A cannot be done, at least not easily without an API, right? Mm-hmm. No, it is easy. I had a shell script that goes through all my Terraform directories and then runs Terraform <laughs> apply against or Terraform plan against any of them and checks the output and then puts it all together and then formats it nicely with uh, with some aux and said stuff. It's, it's, it's simple. I don't understand this problem you're solving. <laughs> Yeah, I'm exaggerating, you see? Kind of, you just need to write a couple of hundred. Was it hundreds or thousands? That's shell script. <laughs> hundreds, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I get the impression that there was a lot of bring your own that is no longer, that now Crossplane provides. Yeah, it, it, it was really complicated to do, but I would just been doing some experimenting and, and trialing with Crossplane and I didn't remember how many clusters I had deployed because I'm like multitasking at the time. And I just went to Crossplane and list the clusters. Oh, I have four. Oh, yeah, I I wanted four. Now I'm done. But with Terraform, (laughs) it would have been a little bit different because it's a CLI tool, not an API tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, in, in Terraform, if you put all those four clusters and that's the only question you will ever ask and you have them in the same project, you would get that information, right? Yeah, yeah. 
No, actually, actually, no. You will still need to filter and say, yes, but all the node groups out. Uh, That's true. You would need yeah. to start filtering out, actually, yeah. yes. You would get too much yeah. information then. Cool. Sounds really good. Hi, it's Mark again. Part of the reason why Kubernetes has become so popular is that it makes containers extremely easy to run. Another reason for Kubernetes popularity and extensive adoption is that it didn't change the model for running the software too much. Michael Vitrup Larsen wrote a blog post named The Future of Kubernetes and Why Developers Should Look Beyond Kubernetes in 2022. I'll leave a link in the show notes so you know what's up and coming. Now let's carry on with our episode. Are there any customer cases, uh, either nameable or, or just that you can talk about in a generic way, about uh, the value that Crossplane has brought to an organization? Yeah, so I cannot mention the names mostly because I was too lazy to check internally which ones I can mention and which ones I cannot. But so, uh, but we are in a relatively early stages of adoption. When I say relatively early stages, I think that from customer perspective, and this is different than user perspective, right? Because we can have any unknown number of users. It's open source, right? So, uh, but from customer perspective, we are seeing huge interest among big customers, right? And I think that that's, that's kind of normal because, or to be expected, because the differences between doing things with crossplane and doing it with other tools become more evident when you run at scale. Most of the examples that we were mentioning today, like, hey, uh, API so that I can retrieve all the clusters or the problems with the working with state and so on and so forth are not really real issues when you have like one cluster and then two load balancers, right? So right now among customers, of course, we want everybody to be our customer and uh, the things that like everybody else wants, but the adoption comes mostly from uh, big organizations. Can you name some sectors or... or uh, yes, you know? so uh, quite a few in banking, quite a few in... Uh, uh, there is interest in entertainment industry. Uh, and now you guess kind of like how many streaming companies you have uh, right now in the world, right? Yes. <laughs> but I will not say the name. <laughs> type of. Uh, so I'm seeing, yes, e uh, financial industry, entertainment industry, medical industry as well, car, car manufacturers. Basically, now when I think about it, I don't think that it's limited to kind of certain segments. Another interesting thing, actually, is that there is a huge interest and adoption, not only among end users, like, hey, this bank uses this, or this streaming service uses this, but also among vendors, right? It is very likely that vendors will use Crossplane to power their own solutions, you're a cloud vendor or you have a service for this or uh, SaaS, some solution or whatever it is that Crossplane has a potential to become um, the driver uh, there as well. So it's also from that perspective, quite a huge interest. But since we are relatively early in, in, in the process, at least from commercial side, right? Crossplane is an open source project exists for, for, for a while now. But commercial, I think that we started uh, maybe half a year ago or three quarters ago. So we are mostly seeing interest from companies that say, hey, we want to be with you for a ride, right? We know that this is not the end game. We see a huge potential in crossplane. We can imagine and we would like you to tell us where it's going. And we want to actually be in for a ride. We want to influence the roadmap. And we want to, in a way, invest, right? So think of current customers more as investors in Crossplane than I simply buy this thing and this thing does whatever it does. I've heard a lot of about the responsiveness of the community in terms of being able to uh, to help build enablers for some of these large companies. And plus, it's open source, so they can all contribute back as well. Exactly. That's and that's now the most important phase, probably, to get a massively large coverage through contributions, right? And we expect, because we as a company, we will never be able to create all the providers for everything that exists in the world, right? The goal is, 
hey, you're a company that you're AWS or you're Azure or you're a small company like Sivo and so on and so forth. Why not uh, join for a ride as well and contribute your provider to Crossplane? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there are a couple of ways you can do that easy and hard way, which I think we'll speak about later. But about this community kind of helping each other, I, I just happen to have a very recent example. I like the Rancher uh, tool for managing Kubernetes clusters, mostly for the centralized RBAC benefit. But I think it's a great tool overall and it's getting better. But I always want to install Rancher. And when I started installing systems with Crossplane, I'd deploy the deploy all the cloud resources, put in the Kubernetes cluster, and now I have to run something else to get Rancher. But now with the new TerraJet provider, which we'll probably talk about a bit more, the day that came out, I happened to be chatting in the cross-plane Slack with somebody who said, yeah, we're working on the Rancher stuff now. Two days later, they said, here's your new Rancher provider. You can configure Rancher with Crossplane now as well. It's like, oh, oh, amazing. So it's a really great community to be part of. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it, it is really, we are, I probably should say that this, but we are surprised. We did not expect, we always expected to be big adoption and stuff like that, but we did not expect anything at the scale that is happening right now, which is a good problem to have kind of, hey, actually the adoption and the contributions are pouring in faster than we thought. But I think that just speaks to how much it's solving problems that people have. So we were talking earlier, like uh, AWS, everything you do is via an API. And with Crossplane, companies can build their own API. So instead of going to cloud, you go to the EFI code control plane and say, give me this, give me that, whatever. And then because you can extend it, if I need a provider for Rancher, a couple days later, I have a provider for Rancher and then I can do it. And as an end user, it's so much simpler to use because my infra team or me, when I have the infra team hat on, I can define some some resources and then say here and then a few lines of YAML, anybody can deploy and get it. So the use case is just perfect. Yeah, there is that also, uh, now that you mentioned uh, other people and stuff like that, probably the most important feature or capability of Crossplane is what we call compositions, right? We do not expect many people to use Crossplane resources that I was talking about, you know, like EC2 and what's not directly. But the most common, at least going back to the customer's question that you asked me before, one of the common themes among all the companies that I know of that use Rancher is usage of those compositions, which means, hey, I'm a operations team or SRE team or something like that, and I do not want to respond to Jira tickets, create a cluster for me, <laughs> deploy this application. I cannot also tell uh, users, hey, uh, why don't you manage AWS yourself? Because those users are going to freak out. Hey, how many years you need to spend to figure out subnets and VPCs and uh, ELBs and ALBs and, you know, uh, AWS itself has thousands, give or take resources that nobody understands and so on and so forth. So the the end goal, the end idea is that for Crossplane to enable certain types of people, like let's say experts in something, in security, in infrastructure, in cloud, and what's or not, to enable them to create platforms for everybody else. So like if I go back to that Ethicode API that you mentioned, you can create and say, hey, what do you care about? You want to create a cluster, you want to manage cluster, yes. What do you care about? I care about ABCD, like, I don't know, like is it big, is it small? Is it running in Google, is it running in Azure? you create a completely new resource for them. Completely new res- custom resource definition, we call it cross-plane resource definition, and say, hey, there's that 10 lines of YAML that you mentioned. Behind those 10 lines of YAML, there are 5,000 lines of YAML, right? Because AWS is complex. It has many moving pieces, many things that need to be done. But for you, I'm going to create something custom. And I think that that's... That's going back to why I see adoption among big companies, because everybody, I believe, needs internal development platform or internal platform to do things because everybody has something that is different than somebody else. Maybe security rules, maybe how which types of instances we use, and so on and so forth. 
the approach that we as industry were having towards those types of platforms in the past was what I will call Heroku, but it applies to every, uh, to many other solutions. Meaning, Hey, I'm a vendor. I create an opinionated platform that will greatly simplify how you do something. Like Heroku, you say, this is my code, run it. And I think that Heroku is absolutely amazing. It's absolutely great. I love it, but it doesn't work uh, in bigger companies. And it doesn't work because the result, it's enough to have one thing that is different between what you need and what opinionated platform gives you. One thing is enough to break completely, to say, hey, because of this one thing, and it's almost always never one thing, it's more than one thing, but because of this one thing, we cannot use this thing. And modifying how Heroku works is impossible, right? They complicate. Yeah. So then with Crossplane, this example FE code API, which I mentioned now might be something on my to-do list, by the way. <laughs> so <laughs> instead of saying this is Heroku's method or this is uh, DigitalOcean's method, I can say this is the FE code kind of outlook. And this is the way we, opi our opinionated way for deploying apps works. And then I can fine tune it for my requirements and say, you have to have these security controls. You can only use these kind of networks. And I build that in and then expose a very simple API, just like these other providers have done, which is designed with my use case and my requirements in mind. And then the users get the same easy service of here's a few lines of YAML, give me my test system. But behind the scenes, all the complexity of complying with my requirements is done for them. Exactly. It's a tailor-made Heroku in a way. And this way, like a small platform team um, can really show, you know, kind of enterprise level value um, by hiding all of this complexity. Yeah. And the other benefit of that is also that when I'm building these, I can build in the AWS configuration, the Azure configuration, the GPC configuration, the OpenStack configuration, the whatever else we want configuration. And those can be one line item inside the, uh, inside the YAML file. So when a development team says, I need a new environment, they don't need to care about which cloud is it and how do you do things in that cloud. They just change the one line and the tool takes care of everything for them. Or even on-prem, we have some customers, especially in financial sector, still running on-prem. Yeah. Yeah. If, if there is an API on the other end, it can be made to work with Crossplane. Now, whether today there is a provider or as Andy mentioned, there isn't, but then it's, it's, it will be created two days later. That's a separate question, right? But if there is an API that Crossplane can talk to, talk with, talk through with, uh, then it, it can be added. Yes. I've just been talking with a customer about uh, implementing crossplane in in their systems and and we do have the use case that we have uh Azure HCI on prem we have Azure in the cloud and there's still a couple things in AWS that need to be taken care of and with all of this we can still hide them so to speak hide them behind the the crossplane API so the user experience is the same, no matter what the target environment really is running on. Because from, from that perspective, your users are treating you the same way as you are treating Azure, meaning that yes. you're not yep. sending requests to Azure. Azure, can, it create, can, you create, can you do this for me? Right? Azure's job is to provide the service that you consume. Your job is to provide the service that the others in your company consume. You're a service, you're, you're becoming a service provider essentially, right? Yes. Yep. So development teams can configure what they need with a small amount of YAML and it hides a lot of complexity in NFR, uh, non-functional requirements behind that. And compliance, I would assume as well, and, and some other kinds of things. Compliance and security, and you can put limits on how many, how many pods they can, or how many nodes they can spin up, what type of nodes they can spin up, which of course affects the cost. So all kinds of controls can be built in and best practices can be there that, that the developers or the end users, if, let's say that way, don't even need to know about. Of course, it's good if they do, and it's good if they're aware of everything, but they don't have to stress about, am I remembering all this stuff? They just say, give me an environment and they get it. Yeah. And those compositions can be made 
depending on the level of experience of those end users, right? Hey, what do you know? You know those three things? Those three things is what I'm going to expose to you. Oh, you want to be a power user? I'm going to create a composition with 25 uh, knobs that you can change, right? It's treating them as, as customers. Hey, what do you need? You need this? What is the level of control you, you need? That? Excellent. Here's the service. Uh, this this sounds so amazing to have this level of configuration management and even you know an internal customer focus instead of you know we get sometimes the tools teams are like this is how you're going to do it but being able to provide that level of flexibility I think is really fantastic. Um, but Victor, uh, speaking of all of this kind of uh, versatility on the on the different cloud providers and whatnot, um, I think you had a big announcement um, this week, which is the end of January 2022, or as we say in podcast speak, at the time of our recording. Um, so, what was the what was the big announcement uh, you just had? Yeah, so we start we created or a while ago, a few weeks ago, it was live and public, but we announced uh, a few days ago from the time of this recording, the project called Terrajet. Short, short explanation of the project would be, uh, it takes uh, Terraform modules, it passes them through um, code generation and creates cross-plane providers, which is a, it is, I wouldn't say it's not the end game, but it gives us 100% coverage for whichever pro, uh, modules we put through through the code generation, that's that that was the most important milestone, right? Because quite a few of users, customers, what's or not of Crossplane had that complaint. Hey, this is amazing, but you know you have 375 resources in AWS, and AWS itself has 800 something, and I happen to need this one. You need to add it to the, to the to the list of resources in a provider, and it takes a lot of time to develop the equivalent of uh, of a resource in in a provider, right? And this is especially true if any of people listening ever work directly with, let's say, AWS API. But the same applies to everybody, uh, almost every everybody, every other big provider. The APIs are messy; they are inconsistent; they are complicated, and so on and so forth. So, Terajet through the code generation based on Terraform module gives us like uh, coverage of some provider in a matter of hours or maybe days if it's something extremely complicated. So so now with Terajet, we have all the coverage we need. And then that means that now we can, we removed the, the biggest blocker for adoption. Hey, this is missing because now it's not missing anymore. And if it is, as Andy said before, it cannot be, it, it will stop being missing in a day or two. And then we can go back to the original idea of building the, what we call cross-plane native providers, right? Uh, which are tailor-made, uh, defined from scratch, written in Go for all those providers. But now we're not in a rush. Hey, will we have uh, native coverage for AWS next month or two years from now, it's not anymore that important because through Terajet and cold generation, we have that coverage almost instantly, right? So do I remember right that uh, at least as of this week, you know, AWS announces new stuff all the time, but at least as of this week, there's 100% coverage of all the AWS, Azure, and GCP components. Correct. Those are... The three modules that uh, bulk of the work was done by um, by us. And in this context, I wear two hats. Us can be community and us can be upbound. In this case, I mean upbound. And there are, I think that, I might be wrong. I think that by the, uh, by this time, we already have additional seven or eight providers, like Rancher being one of them, mm. uh, with rumors of many more uh, in, in, in the works. And this is also going back to what I mentioned before about involving other vendors into uh, into Crossplane. This gives them very easy way to translate their uh, stuff into Crossplane, you know, within a day. And then they can also work on native providers slowly, right, without having so much pressure. It's instant coverage, let's say. Sounds fantastic. Um What's on the roadmap? Like, what's coming next, Victor? Yeah, so there are three, let's say, three types of projects or platforms. I'm not sure how to call it, right? There is cross-plane, completely open source. 
that's that's the majority of stuff going on. We are very very open source type of company, and then there is a universal control plane. Sorry, universal cross plane platform UXP, which is completely free, but it is uh, distribution of cross plane. Right, that's the distribution that we validated with the providers that we validated. Uh, that works with some additional tools that we are building, like uh, VS Code um, extension and so on and so forth. So there is a free distribution. Think of it like, oh, I'm trying now to think about another example of something like that. My brain stopped now. Anyways, free distribution, curated distribution of uh, Crossplane, for which we are building uh, additional tooling, apart from it being stable, tested, and what's or not. And... The first one that we are releasing, I think in a week or something like that, uh, VS Code plugin, so that when you write your compositions and uh, manifests and what's or not, you get out the completion and things like that. And there is uh, Abound uh, itself, which is, which can be enterprise or cloud, uh, for which we are working on a lot of things. For example, there is uh, there will be, there is already, but there will be improved the registry where... Uh, you can see all the details of all the resources, and that will soon include other people's compositions. So, for example, when you want to create, let's say, an EKS cluster, an EKS cluster needs subnets and VPC. There are a lot of things, right? And then you can you can go to registry and see all the different people who already implemented that composition and steal it from their, them. I mean, it's not stealing, right? It's uh, contributions but see different examples of how people implemented uh, and solved certain problems uh, and then build it from there to fine-tune it for your specific use cases. Uh, we are working uh, now in case of commercial version for external secret storage. First one is Vault, much more to come. XRM, which is a way for UI to evaluate either provider resources or your custom compositions and present you with the UI, right? Uh, in the example that Andy was mentioning before, or I was talking with him, you create your own composition that has whichever schema you define it to have, that's completely up to you. But then your users will be able to see uh, the fields and all the dropdowns and what's not of your own compositions, right? Cool. And then we're getting, uh, having internal development platform with custom made UI or console, right? Sign me up for the beta. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. There, there is actually there is a disabled feature that is that is already doing that, but we are thinking about making it how we can make it better and you know fixing hmm. some rough edges. But it's getting there. We're getting there. Sounds like feature flag development going on, which I'm also very happy to hear. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, what else? And then also, yes, there will be custom compositions, kind of, it's a working title, probably it, it sounds silly, custom compositions, but anyways, you will be able to use your engine of choice to render the final compositions. So whether that would be Helm or to pass it through some Go code or any other engine so that you have more flexibility on how those compositions are created. Because... That will solve one of the, I'm not sure whether to say problems, right? That we intentionally do not want to put a templating engine into Crossplane. We don't want to convert it into Helm type of uh, stuff, right? But there is a need to do something like that. So we want to create a mechanism that will enable you to plug it in into whichever templating or code generation engine you want. Those are the few that come out from top of my head. Just from the top of your head to name a few. <laughs> Victor, this has been, this has been really amazing. So, um, tell, tell our users, I know there's a great tutorial on, on crossplane.io and, and you have a, a tremendous presence, um, online on your, on your channels. I've listened to some podcasts you've done with some other people. Um, what would you like to tell people about how, how to get involved and start using crossplane? Come to Slack. That's the first step. Awesome. We are trying really. To, uh, I don't recall the last time any question or any ask, uh, request for help was left unanswered. We, we, it's a company mandate. Uh, it's not a mandate. We want to do that, right? Uh, we're all in Slack all the time. We're all, all the time monitoring, uh, for any, 
anything happening there. So the first step, join Slack, ask your questions. If you have any issue or anything, just be there and talk to us. That's on a company level. Of course, open issue for anything you found. Doesn't matter how silly or not silly it sounds. Contribute uh, with your own Terrajet providers. Uh, if there is a provider that is missing, if there is something that you want to do, there is a tutorial, uh, Terrajet tutorial. It will probably take you 15 minutes to go through tutorial. You create your own provider. Be nice. Contribute it back to the community. And finally, I have a now outside of Abound, I have a personal mandate that whomever contacts me directly, uh, I send them a Calendly link. Yeah, let's talk. I want to be personally, I'm available to anybody for anything. This is this is really amazing. Like the the enthusiasm that I see you bring, the the openness. Uh, you know, come to Slack is your first answer. That's really cool. Um, I think Crossplane brings together a lot of amazing things. You've got community, um, you've got contributions from the community, you've got enterprise and contributions from enterprise. Um, you're reducing complexity. I like the word configuration management. So I think that you're doing the world a service with the level of configuration management you're providing. Um, and this, this reaches all parts of the enterprise because you're able to have small platform teams that are able to take care of a large uh, number of uh, environments. Developers still are able to configure the things they need. You're even reducing ticketing and, you know, handovers of information in enterprises. And you're not only doing all of the cloud providers, but also providing stuff for those who are uh, still having to support on-prem. So, you know, I, I applaud the work that you're doing here, uh, Victor, with Upbound and, and Crossplane. And um, I'd like to really uh, sincerely thank uh, Victor for joining and, and Andy for bringing you to us and, and being an enthusiastic EFICODE cheerleader um, for, for this. I'm not going to imagine you in a cheerleader outfit, Andy, but that's uh, a different <laughs> I cannot take it out of my head now. I, I have a picture, man. You, you <laughs> Okay. Fortunately, this is a podcast, so... Uh, <laughs> But hey, I'd, I'd, I'd like to thank our panelists uh, very sincerely once again. And uh, this is Mark with the Efficode DevOps Sauna, and we'll be signing off for today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Andy and Mark. Thank you for listening. You can find Andy and Victor's profiles from the show notes, as well as related content we referred to in the episode. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast and give us a rating on your platform. It means the world to us. Also, check out our other episodes for interesting and exciting talks. Finally, before we sign off, I leave you with this. Take care of yourselves and remember to make overall systems decisions instead of those only affecting your own work. <laughs>